You are listening to an audio message from The Well, a church in Hastings, Nebraska that seeks to be relevant, relational, and real. For more information, visit www.thewellhastings.com. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. I want to read to you from that, make a few small comments, and then I want to point out about seven different observations that I see in the text. And again, this may seem a little bit strange, but just so that you know, we are working through the book of Luke in our church in Hastings. And uh, we're going to take about the next two or three years to work through this book, slowly but surely. And some of you might say, why would you take three years to do that? And the reason is because one of the things that we understand about culture today is that we want our stuff fast, like right now. We want it now. We want it our way. We want it my way. And the reality is, the reality is, is that God's word was never meant to be some quick fix, 15-minute devotion, and then walk away from God's word was meant to be something that we saturate ourselves in and soak in like a, like a slow cooker, like a slow cooker as opposed to a microwave. And we live a little bit in a microwave culture, in a microwave society, and we have condensed the gospel, the good news of the gospel, into a quick five-step thing when the reality is the gospel message is what permeates the entirety of Scripture, and I believe that God wants to permeate the entirety of us. And so this morning, as I preach to you, I'm going I'm to bring this out of Luke chapter 2, and we're going to talk about the good news. We're going to talk about the gospel message. So let me start, let me start in verse 8, if you want to read along with me. Luke says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. If you would, give me a minute. Just pray with me as we pray over the text before I begin to comment. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your word. I just remember how David in the Psalms says that we could, in a sense, just worship the word that you give us. Lord, we know and we understand that the, the gospel message is great news for a culture and a society and a world that is so used to hearing really bad, destructive, destroying news. Lord, we turn on our news every night and we turn on the TV and we see bad news. Lord, we survey the landscape of our lives sometimes and we, we see and we hear bad news. We feel the effects of bad news and Lord, 
I just know that as your people, Lord, you want to preach the message, the gospel, the good news of the gospel into our hearts and lives today. So God, I pray that your spirit would be here and moving. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts. I pray, God, that you would speak through me. I pray, God, that, that you would help me to speak your word this morning. Lord, we just trust you with the next few moments. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news that originates in heaven. It's good news for all people. It's good news about God becoming a man. It's good news that brings glory to God. It's good news that introduces people to Jesus. It is good news that must be proclaimed and it's good news that must be miraculously powerful. And what's gonna happen is I'm gonna take a walk through everything that I just said I want to kind of observe those seven things from the text with you so that you can see how this pulls out of the text. But if there's one big idea I want you to walk away with, I want you to remember that the gospel is good news. It's literally the meaning of the word, and we find it deep in our text as the angels come and speak to the shepherds. And I, I want you to put yourself in the, in the place of the shepherds for a moment. <clears throat> and I want you to remember that man, shepherds were were a little bit lower than tradesmen. I used to be a drywaller and a sheetrocker and a construction worker. I wasn't a lawyer, right? I, I wasn't in that class of people. The shepherds in this day and age would have been a little lower than that. And the reason was is because shepherds were typically very filthy, very dirty people because they lived out in the outdoors with their sheep and they didn't smell very good. And so for many religious people of that day and age and of that time, they would not want to be around the shepherds, mostly because they smelled funny. And yet this is the group of people that, that God sends his angels to herald the coming of his son to. Think about that. When a king or a president or a mayor or a governor or an important person comes to town, we send some of our most important people ahead of that person to herald the coming of somebody important. Yet God, God does things a little bit different, if not a lot bit different than we would. And he sends these angels to herald the coming, to herald the good news to these shepherds. And so just be thinking of that context as we jump into these. The first thing that I want to point out is that the good news originates in heaven. It's not something that originated with man. It's not an earthly man-made message. It's a message that originated in heaven. I want you to think of eternity past as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1 speaks to this idea that before the foundations of the earth, before the foundations of the earth, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Meaning that before the earth was even spoken into existence, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit got together, had a little community meeting. You could call it some sort of a committee meeting. They got together and they made a plan. And they looked ahead across the span of time because of God's foreknowledge, because he's sovereign, because he knows all things. Because there's nothing that gets by our Father in heaven whatsoever. And they made this plan that at some point, Jesus would come in the flesh, as a baby, in a manger. He would come in a, in a humiliative and a humble way. He would be the one 
by whom all things were made, as John 1 says. Yet he would come in a humble and humiliative way to walk with us, to look just like us, to be like us, though he was 100% God and 100% man, which is something that is far beyond our imagination. And a long time ago, before the foundations of the world, they made this plan to send Jesus. And Jesus says, man, I will go. I will go, and I will spend time, and I will grow as a young man, and I will minister, and I will eventually go out the same way I came in, in humility, naked, and on a cross. And so this, this message of the good news originates from the floor of heaven. It is not something that man made up. And Paul speaks the same way in his epistles when he says, this is not just a man-made message that I bring to you. This is a message that I bring to you in trembling. And the reality is that we find no earthly substitute whatsoever for the gospel message. But we're always looking for something that would stand in that place. We're always looking for a message or a book or a seven steps to self-help or a seven steps to marital freedom or a seven steps to get over my alcohol issues or seven steps to becoming clean again or whatever those may be. And I'm not bagging all those things, but at the end of the day, what I'm saying is the same thing that the song said that we just sang a little bit ago is that we are nothing without Christ. We're nothing without Christ. And it is in Christ and Christ alone that we find that the message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ radically changes and transforms lives. And that is a message that originated from heaven because if it came from any other place, if it originated from, from man, if it originated from anywhere within us, it would be broken and sinful and it would be nothing because it would be devoid of Christ himself. And so it began there and it began with him. And the man who struggles to face his failures is still in need of the good news, the gospel message. The woman who looks to her relationships around her to heal her wounds needs the good news, the gospel message. And the teenager or the child who continuously rebels against their parents' direction is in need of the good news, the gospel message. Every one of us in our ordinary, everyday lives needs to hear and respond positively to the good news of the gospel message, which originated in heaven and didn't originate with us. But it is only through the help of Christ and Christ alone that we gain the ability to change. The second thing I see is in verse 10 that the, the gospel is good news for all people. And sometimes for some of us, it's easy when we latch on to a really great message to kind of hold on to it and keep it for ourselves. It's kind of like that prized gift that we get for Christmas, right? And the reality is that the gospel was not meant just for us. And in fact, it was not meant for good church people. It was meant for really bad people. And the reality that for all of us as good church people, the reality is that at our foundation and at our base, we are sinful, lost, enemies of God, God sent his son to die for his enemies, which makes his command to us to love our enemies astonishing and empowering all at the same time. Verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The reality is if you look into Matthew 28 and you look there and you see the Great Commission when Jesus says to his disciples, man, as I leave, I'm giving you a commandment. Go into all the world and preach 
all the message, the good news to all the people, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a message of good news for all people, and we, we now become the heralds of that message to those people that we come in contact with. Just uh, hearing this morning as I came in that you guys have some really cool things happening here. Your Wednesday night ministry where you guys serve food and you serve a meal beforehand and then you have, you have 50 or more kids coming in here to hear the gospel message, so to speak, through a curriculum, through volunteers who are doing great work. I'm hearing about, I'm hearing about the women's retreat that is coming up here on the 25th and the, the numbers and how that has grown over the years and I'm, I'm thinking what a miraculous thing. What a great thing. What an awesome thing that you guys at this church, within this congregation, have begun to realize that the message that saved you was not meant just for you. It was meant for your community. In a community of less than 800 people, you have somewhere maybe between 50 and 70 people coming to a women's retreat, possibly, even that's like 10% of your community. That is a gospel win. That's a gospel win. That's something to celebrate. And you have over 50 kids coming here on a Wednesday night. Again, more than 10% of your, of your community walking into your church community to learn from the scriptures. That's a gospel win. That, that's the gospel for all people in your community. And you guys ought to give yourselves a round of applause. Come on. Okay? And yet at the same time, as you give yourselves that round of applause, man, just give that round of applause to Jesus because he's the one that started it. That gospel message points to him and he's doing a work in your hearts and in your lives and in your church and your community and it shows. It shows that for you guys, the gospel message was not just meant for you and that really excites me. I know this not only because of that but I also know this because of the heart of your pastor who has led you guys to some extent to support our church plant as we do what we do in Hastings which means you guys have a heart for the people in Hastings, Nebraska to see the gospel affect their lives. And I just wanna say thank you, I'm thankful for that, that you guys get this. You guys get this picture, that the gospel is a message for all people. So here's the deal, man. The healthy and the wealthy need the gospel message, right? The healthy and wealthy need the power, the good news of the gospel. The poor and the marginalized need the power of the good news of the gospel. The indifferent, pride-filled man needs the power of the good news of the gospel. And the woman with her mental illness needs the power of the good news of the gospel as well. The child or the teenager that is growing up in a single-parent home still needs the power of the good news of the gospel. And the family who has been following Jesus since eons ago still needs the power of the good news of the gospel message. The gospel message for all people means that it wasn't just a one-time thing when you came down to the front and got saved, so to speak, and prayed the sinner's prayer. The gospel message is something that is to permeate you and I's life from the beginning until that moment when we stand before him in heaven. So it's the good news for all people. Now the third thing that I see is this in verses 11 and 12. I see that the gospel is good news about God becoming a man. Here's the deal. God didn't just sit in his throne in heaven and say, you guys find a way to come get next to me. God found a way to send his son in the form of a man to be with us, to walk this road just like us. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. One of the early church fathers back before the Reformation calls this section of text the gospel of the manger. Because from a real dingy, dark, stinky, nasty place, Jesus comes and becomes human. He becomes a man. He walks right out of his perfect place in heaven as the first missionary ever walks into our sin-filled, stinky, nasty, disgusting-looking lives. Though we try really hard to spit-shine the outside through good behavior, through right actions, through better thinking, through better groups of people to hang out with, the reality is that deep down inside, we are, we are completely wretched, completely sinful deep down inside of us without Christ, because without him, we are nothing. And so the reality is that when Jesus comes, man, he's preaching the gospel of good news, and the, the good news is that our mess doesn't make a mess of what God wants to do in our lives. Our mess is exactly the reason that he comes. He comes to a manger, becomes a human, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He becomes a man. And man, sometimes we attempt to relegate Christ into our image by portraying that he was a man just like us. And while there's some truth to that, there's also a danger in that because it can cheapen the message of the gospel because though he gave up, though he gave up his Godship, so to speak, and became a man. He came in the form of a man as God incarnate, meaning that in him the fullness of God pleased to dwell. It's something that we cannot completely wrap our minds around. He gave up his place in heaven to come walk with us that we might become like him and sit with him in heaven. He came that we might have no longer a seat of being his enemy and a seat of, of headed towards hell, but a, a seat of sonship and a, a seat of being a daughter of the king because of his work. When we stop to ponder the fact that the gospel is good news about God becoming a man, we're released from our striving to impress God. Now think about this. It's very hard for any of us to admit that we would ever strive to impress God, right? But the reality is, is that even our best attempts to live rightly are still mingled with the motivation to please God and earn his love. Because there is a war that is taking place inside each and every one of us. And that war that is taking place inside of each of every one of us is this sanctification or cleansing process that is, that is happening where we are being transformed and being changed into the likeness of Christ. Think about it, if, if some of you began walking with Jesus when you were 15 years old, at the age of 15, you've had 15 years of living as God's enemy You've had 15 years to, to get into your psyche the habits of a very sinful enemy of God. And yet when that day when Christ saves you from that point forward, it is a walking our salvation out by faith and working it out because it is God who does the work in each of us. That work of sanctifying and changing and transforming the way that we think and the way that we behave. I heard somebody once say that we as Christians, those who claim Christ, those who have claimed to have heard the good news, 
that we should begin to get used to repenting of our righteousness. And you might say, that sounds crazy. See, it's, it's easier for the man or the woman or the teenager to kneel at the altar and say, God, forgive me for the way that I just spoke to my spouse. God, forgive me for my rebellion yesterday. God, forgive me for the pornography that I just looked at on the computer. God, forgive me for these bad things. But it's, it's, a, it's a wholly different thing to say, God, forgive me for the good things that I've done recently because even those have been motivated by my want to earn your love. And the gospel is good news about God becoming a man. The fourth thing that I see, look at verses 13 through 14. And the gospel is good news that brings glory to God. And, and this is... And this is, this is one of the ultimate pieces because the early reformers also said this. They said the chief end of man, the chief end of man was to glorify God and God alone. But the reality and the problem is that we all have this issue inside of us called sin, right? And what has happened in the midst of that, there's a foundation on which is pride. And much like Lucifer in heaven who was, right, the most beautiful angel ever and who was supposed to be the music or worship leader, but his problem was that he wanted worship to be directed towards him and not his father in heaven. And that's our core issue is that we live our lives in selfishness, self-preservation, self-building, self-help because we are our greatest idol. The thing that steals our attention from our Father in heaven and from Jesus himself is us and the mess inside of us, which is why Jesus came to save us. That's what makes this gospel message so good, is to know that in the midst of my death and in the midst of my sin and the midst of my mess, Jesus came so I could go from being nothing to being somebody. Because at one point, I was a, a nobody, a nothing, headed towards hell, an eternity separated from God. And I was actively taking myself there, man. There was, there was no way I could reach out for God on my own because everything that was deep down inside of me was a mess. And I needed somebody to reach out and rescue me. And that's what Jesus did when he came, was he reached out to rescue me. And at the end of the day, a big piece of that is so that I would glorify him. And so that all the attention would be upon him. And so that we would be able to observe the beauty of Jesus, and who he is, and what he came to do, the plan that he had from the beginning, the foundations of the earth. Gospel is good news that brings glory to God. Look at verse 13. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Sometimes when we get the gospel message backwards, we mistakenly believe that the gospel is actually all about us. But the truth is this. It's not about you and I. Primarily at its highest end, it's about God the Father who loved us, who chose us, who sent his son to save us. It's about him. The gospel message is about him. We mistakenly believe sometimes that it's all about us that it's actually centered around sin-filled people, but the reality is it's centered around a glorious, perfect, holy, loving God who, within his character, chose to love you and I by sending his son. And when the early church leaders 
in the Reformation area said that the chief end of man is to glorify God. It was a weighty thing they would say. And in fact, this idea to give glory to is to give weight to or to give attention to. That's what that word means. So when the angels are singing, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And just catch the language there. Among those with whom he is pleased, there is no way that he can be pleased with you and I because of who you and I are. Yes, he placed his image in us. And as he placed his image in us, he then came to rescue and reform that image within us because that image has been marred by sin. That image has been marred by the world that we live in and we need him. We are nothing without him. So the chief end of man is to give our glory back to God himself. And that's what the gospel message does in each one of you and I. You ever wonder at times in your life why your life has become more about you? I struggle sometimes. And if I'm the only one here, it's okay. I'll just admit, man, sometimes I really struggle. I'll just, I'll take it from the family perspective that, why do my kids throw fits like this sometimes? You know what I mean? Why can't my wife and I get past this conflict that we have in our relationship and our marriage right now? I can take it to my work as a pastor. How come some of the people I'm leading aren't hearing and aren't getting, how come they're not being set free from some of the behavior in their life? How come they're still trash talking me behind my back instead of just coming to me and having a conversation about the message I just preached? And so I struggle. Why do I struggle that way? I struggle that way because deep down inside me there is a war. There's two dogs fighting against each other. There's this sinful side of me that is always actively trying to control my life. And then there's the Spirit of God at work in me, working out salvation, working out sanctification so that my life would glorify my Father in heaven through the work of Christ and the gospel and the good news in me. See, life becomes all about me when I'm beginning to glorify myself and and elevate myself above my Father in heaven. So, So the man who continuously plans for ways to make his life easier is seeking his own glory. And the woman who consistently runs from this adventure to this adventure to that adventure to that adventure in an attempt to forget the past is really just seeking her own glory. And the teenager or the child who constantly starts fights and argues with everyone around them is really just seeking their own glory. They're just seeking attention for themselves. And the good news of the gospel message redirects our attention. It redirects our attention off of us and simply reminds us that we don't deserve anything but death as enemies of God. But what we get in return is his grace and his mercy. And in his mercy, he has withheld what we deserve And in his grace, he has given us what we don't deserve. And so it redirects our attention from our self-seeking activity and places it squarely on God and ultimately erases the worry or concern of self and replaces it with complete focus upon God. It's where Christ wants us is a complete, sold-out affection and desire for the things of Jesus at work in our lives and hearts. The power of the good news, the gospel message, changes our lives from self-seeking, self-preservation, and self-exalting behavior 
replaces those patterns, those life patterns with Jesus-seeking, self-sacrificing, and Jesus-exalting behavior. Is the gospel good news in your lives this morning? Is it good news in your lives where it is causing your life to bring attention and glory to your Father in heaven? Look at verses 15 through 16. The fifth thing I want to point out is this. But the gospel is good news that introduces people to Jesus. People would not be introduced to Jesus had it not been for the good news of the gospel. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And verse 16 says, they went with haste. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Man, when meeting people, when you meet someone new, it's been said that the first impressions are lasting impressions, right? First impressions are lasting impressions, and it's the same with Jesus because the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is at work in you and in me is the primary way the unbelievers are introduced to Jesus. I've spent, I've spent multiple hours and time with people in our community asking the question, and if 70% of our community does not know Jesus and are not part of a church, then why is that? And many people, time and time again, will say, you know, it's not Jesus that I have an issue with. It's the people who claim him that I have an issue with. And I know what they're saying. I get it. I get it. Because, man, that's me. Like, that's, my life is so inconsistent. And I need Jesus to continue growing me. The extent that the good news of the gospel message has actually been firmly rooted in your life is the extent to which others are introduced to Jesus as well. But sadly, here in America, the church on Sunday mornings has become a thing that we attend rather than a thing that we have become. For many Christians, so-called Christians in America today, the Sunday morning smile and the church attendance does not line up or match up with what's happening in their day-to-day -day lives. And an unbelieving world is standing around watching. Again, please be encouraged. I hear great stories of what's happening in your midst. So please don't feel beaten up. But just know that if that war is at place in each and every one of us, the greatest prayer that any of us could ever pray is God, please let the gospel message so saturate my thinking and so saturate my feeling and my desires and so saturate my hands and the work of my hands and my community that God, this whole community would come to know you, would come to hear the good news of the gospel, would, would come to, to bow before you as their king. It's the good news of the gospel message at work in each one of you and I that introduces others to Jesus. So the man who claims Christ but refuses accountability for unrepented sin in his life has not, maybe not, been introduced to the Jesus who saves through the good news 
of the gospel message. The woman who constantly fantasizes about a better life or maybe just simply ending her life maybe has not actually heard the good news of the gospel message but instead has just attempted a legalistic set of rules and laws and outward appearance and the inner self has not been transformed. And the teenager, the child who shuts everyone else out and lives according to their own human plans has not maybe been introduced to Jesus or the good news of the gospel. And being introduced to Jesus results in this. Being introduced to Jesus through the good news of the gospel message results in this. It results in men desiring accountability and desiring to be vulnerable and transparent before other men who will help to shed light into the blind spots of their lives so that men can lead their families well and love their wives sacrificially and lead their children spiritually and lead the church into a gospel-centered representation of Christ in our community. It, result, it results in women being freed from their fantasies and results in teenagers and children and living wholesome relationships with people who love them. <coughs> we are actively responding to the gospel message and following Jesus wholeheartedly. Our lives give evidence to there being one important and one exalted person in our lives. His name is Jesus. In other words, when the good news of the gospel really introduces us to Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, then our lives begin to literally ooze the message of the gospel and the life and work of Jesus and the work at the cross. The gospel is good news that introduces people to Jesus. The sixth thing that I see, look at verses 17 through 20. And the gospel is good news that must be proclaimed. Romans, Romans says, I will not be ashamed of the good news of the gospel for it is the power unto salvation. Verse 17 says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Catch that just for a minute. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. What, what's happening here is disciples are being made. When the angels come down and they preach this message of good news to the shepherds, the shepherds go with haste because they hear the good news and they're, they're excited about what's beginning to happen. They're excited to be witnesses to what is going on, right? And they, they head over to see Jesus in the manger to visit with Joseph and Mary. And when they get there, they begin to share what's been said to them. They begin to share what's been told to them. And you know, I'm all about the fact that our lives need to proclaim the gospel message through the way that we live. And, and it's good to sit down with people and build relationships. I'm, I'm all about the idea of relational evangelism and sharing the gospel through my life. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the gospel is a message that must be heralded. The gospel is a message that must be proclaimed. The gospel is a message that must be told. And far too many Christians today in our postmodern day and age are saying, I can leave that to somebody else to share that or it didn't feel like the right time to share that. And while some of that may be true, timing, the gospel is a message that must be proclaimed. The scriptures say we are to give a reason for the hope that lies within, with gentleness and respect. And yet I'm afraid that in our postmodern church in America today, we have all but almost completely missed 
what it means to proclaim the gospel message and see disciples made. Verse 19 says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Honestly, seriously, verses 17 through 20 I could probably preach that all day long just as an illustration for what it looks like to actually make disciples. Because these shepherds are doing the exact same things they saw the angels doing. The angels came, they proclaimed the message, they left praising God. The shepherds run, they go to meet Jesus, they meet him because the message was proclaimed. And after meeting him, they leave praising God the same way they see the angels doing. And look around you, look around you in your life. Fathers and husbands, What's happening with your children? Ladies in the church, what's happening with the younger ladies in, our, in your community here? Man, are you calling some people around you to follow you as Jesus said, man, come follow me so we can make disciples? Proclaiming the message of the gospel into their lives. I'm not saying stand on a street corner with a bullhorn and say you're all sinners, you're going to hell, all right? I'm simply saying, man, preach the gospel of the good news, not only with your life and not only with your actions, but also with your words. Be sharing the fact that, man, Jesus saved me. I once was blind, but my eyes are now open. I know that I was once his enemy, but he saw fit to die on a cross to call me his kid. I went from being an, an enemy deserving of death to a kid deserving a crown. That's really good news. It's really good news for me. And it's really good news for a world around you and a town around you. There are many dark places in your town around you, I'm certain of it. So the gospel is not good news that we keep to ourselves selfishly. But it's good news that we have to make known. It's, it's good news that has to be heard by somebody. It's good news that causes wonder and awe in people that are listening and hearing. It's good news that has to be pondered in our hearts and be thought about. But oftentimes there are things competing with what we ponder in our hearts, namely, for me, the struggles and the trials and the hardship of life and the stress and the worries of how are we going to pay our bills and how are we going to keep the car running and what's going to happen tomorrow? What about this person or that? And what about the Husker football game that's going to happen this next Saturday? It's a lot of things that steal my attention from pondering these things in my heart. And I, I want to be a man. I want to be a minister. I want to be a person who is so saturated in the gospel that, man, when you meet me, what you hear is the gospel message just oozing out of me and coming out of me and that, and that, that you would at that point just be awestruck, not because of me, but because of the God that's at work in me. And all of us struggle, man. All of us struggle at times to share the gospel. I believe it's even harder to hear sometimes, though, don't you think? The man who stonewalls the corrective words of a trusted friend is refusing to hear the proclamation of the good news of the gospel message and then therefore is unable to actually proclaim the good news of the gospel message. And I preached this in my church last week and I will, I will let this out that I... I struggled. I, I have a friend who I've known for 25 plus years. And he was with us at the start of our church plant. And he and his wife and children decided to move on from our church plant. And what had happened is that over time I began to confront some sinful patterns in his life and his family. And at some point he began to really stiff arm 
what, what I was saying to him for, for numerous reasons. One, I don't think he trusted me. I'm his friend. It's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, kind of like two brothers trying to confront, you know, it's like two brothers fighting. It makes me sick deep down inside because I know that the gospel wants to redeem that, that the reality is that, is that true brothers ought to be able to come to each other and say, look, man, I see this in your life. I know you better than anybody else. And I'm praying that repentance would come out of your life. But the reality is what it seems like is it seems like he's stonewalled and stiff-armed and, and said, so, I'm refusing that kind of accountability. And this is, this is not the work of the gospel because the work of the gospel in people's hearts and lives is that we become more vulnerable and more transparent and, and less afraid of our sin the same time. There's no reason to be afraid of something that no longer has a hold on you. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, if you've submitted to him and, and he has saved you, and you're saying, man, I'm walking with him today, you can just like me and just like anyone else with no pride or arrogance intended, stand in front of whole hordes of people and say, man, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And if you think for some reason that I'm perfect or you think for some reason that, that it's okay to have some standard of excellence or perfection for me, I'm just gonna let you know I'm gonna fail you. And it's okay for me to be okay failing you in that way because I'm a sinner saved by grace and he will change and transform me as I continue to move forward. And that's the kind of disciples that we want to see made through the message of the good news of the gospel. And so the woman that is unable to come to an understanding of her deep need for Jesus to the extent that she completely forsakes anything but Jesus is refusing to hear the good news of the gospel message and therefore is unable to proclaim the good news, the gospel message. I, I minister to so many young ladies today that are so infatuated with young men and they can't get their mind off of what that young man might do for her, though she should instinctively deep down inside know that, that young man, she's placing him in a position to use her. That's not the gospel message at work in her. I've worked with so many young women and it breaks my heart every time I see another one run off after some young man who's gonna hurt her and abuse her. And it concerns me, it concerns me that as a church, we as Christians need to be sharing the gospel message in much more direct, much more transparent, much more vulnerable ways, not in a condescending, condemning, pride-filled, arrogant, you're going to hell without Christ, though that is part of the message, but a humiliative and humble, man, this is what Christ has done in my life, and, and I really want to see you there too. So the last thing that I see in the text is this, that the gospel is good news that is miraculously powerful. I'm just gonna wrap it up real quick. It's miraculously powerful. I want you to think about it. That last section of the text says in verse 21, it says, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. But he was conceived in the womb by, by some real miraculous thing happening. God caused a virgin who'd never had sex to get pregnant. And if that doesn't get you a little bit excited as you think about that, the fact that God chose to bring his son into the world in this way as a testimony to his power, the gospel message is powerful unto salvation, Paul says. It's a miraculous thing. Sometimes there's Pentecostal groups and Charismatic groups are out there looking for the next greatest sign, which reminds me sometimes of the Pharisees who are always looking for the next greatest sign. The reality is sometimes we're missing what's happening right underneath our noses as people are being saved and transformed because that is because of the gospel message. It is a miraculously powerful thing that is happening right in front of us. So the gospel is good news that is miraculously powerful.
I want to kind of wrap up today and leave you guys with this. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ coming to earth as our sinless Savior, our substitute, our ransom. It's all about him. The attention is to be on him. It's a message that began in heaven. It didn't begin here with either you or I. It's a good news for all people, man. Your next door neighbor, your employer, your coworkers, person down at the bowling alley. It's good news for all people. It's good news about God becoming a man, man. He didn't just sit up in heaven and say, I'm staying here, you find a way to come find me. It's good news about him becoming a man and walking with you and I so that we can then walk with him and become like him. It's good news that introduces people to Jesus and Jesus alone. It's good news that must be proclaimed and it's good news that is miraculously powerful. It essentially, essentially changes everything in our lives. The gospel is a game changer. I pray that you begin to ask how you can walk in the power of the good news of the gospel. I pray that you guys would continue to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that this gospel message of good news and of salvation and of being right with your Father in heaven would continue to illustrate who you guys are. Final question is this. I know there's some of you in the room that know Jesus. I know there's probably some of you in this room that don't know him but think you do. And my question for you is this. How do you respond to the gospel message? When you hear it again, for some of you who have been walking with Christ for 20 plus years maybe, how do you respond again when you hear the gospel message being proclaimed in your midst? And for some of you that are here and you think you know Jesus, but maybe you don't, how are you responding right now to the gospel message in your midst? Is there something inside of you that gets excited as you think about the cross, as you begin to think about the sacrifice of Jesus, the fact that he came as a little naked baby, the fact that he kind of went out the same way, the fact that he came here for you and I to bring glory to his Father. And I pray that that message radically transforms and changes you guys. Would you stand with me so I can pray for us? Father, thank you for, thank you for this church, and God, thank you for the people here, and Lord, I pray that, I pray that what I have preached today has not only challenged their hearts to really just become more like a people that live inside of a slow cooker rather than a microwave. And I pray that that slow cooker for this church and for these people would just be the message of the gospel and they would be about nothing less. Lord, I just remember Paul when he said, this is the thing of most importance that I bring to you. This message of the gospel that points to Jesus. So Father, I pray for these people, God, that you would encourage them and that you would challenge them. Lord, I see so many good gospel-centered things happening in this group of people. And I'm thankful for their friendship and I'm thankful for the way that they support our work in Hastings. And so God, I pray that this message would be used as a way just to challenge them and encourage them at the same time. Father, we're thankful to you for your son, for his work on the cross. We're thankful for the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Hey, you guys have a great Sunday and thanks for coming and hanging out with me. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a church in Hastings, Nebraska that seeks to be relevant, relational, and real. For more information, visit www.thewellhastings.com.